The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. Bring it back to Portage for try it again. Sorry about that. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys, but we're busy. Do I got a flight of six inbound? You do. High wing, half mile southwest of Fish, rock your wings. High wing, half mile southwest of Fish, rock your wings. Good rock, turn right. A correction, high wing, continue straight ahead. Straight ahead, 27 northeast bound for right down one runway 27. Flight of two RVs, turn right, turn right. Flight of two RVs, up high, turn right. Left base runway 36. RVs established eastbound 1826.6. Single low wing, half mile southwest of Fish, rock your wings. Single low wing. Good rock, 27. Good rock, continue straight ahead. Two straight ahead, runway 27. Turn right. Flight of six, turn right, turn right. Right. Flight of six, turn right. Single RV, single RV, rock your wings. Roger. Huh? Single RV, overfish, rock your wings. No room. No room, turn left, turn left, single RV. Flight of six, once you're established eastbound, slow down, get down, 1,826.6 for 3-6. Single RV, you gotta make a left turn, you gotta make a left turn, come back out, go back to Portage, single RV. Come on, see that left turn, thank you. Sorry about it, got too many right there. If you're up behind me going past Fisk, 118.5 for 27, 3-6, 126.6. Welcome aboard Flight 115 of the Squawk Ident Podcast, recorded on the 7th of August, 2022. From the Mobile Aviator Sound Studios, high atop the fourth floor of the Sheraton Hershey Hotel in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. On today's flight, Alex D. joins me as we catch up on his progress as a newly minted first officer at Sandpiper Airlines. We also discuss a few topics that are currently affecting our industry, from cockpit security barriers to the question, what would cause a person to exit an aircraft while it's still in flight? Also, how would you handle a heated argument with a fellow cockpit crew member right before a flight? We find out how two Alaska Airlines pilots recently handled that very situation. And blackmailed to extend your flight duty day? That is at least what one Mesa pilot is claiming. So stay with us as we run our final checks and prepare to push off the gate. Flight 115 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Joining us today is another exceptional aviator and flight instructor. He is a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician and an Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of our legacy airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from his home in Temecula, California, where he got up at 5.30 this morning to join us here today on his day off. Help us and welcome him back to the show, Mr. Alex Daigle. Alex, how you doing? Well, you said it in the intro right there. I'm up at 5.30, so I must be crazy and tired, which <laughs> I think I'm a little of both. Yeah, you and me both. I mean, we're both looking at each other here in the in the uh, video call here, and, and we're both bloodshot red eyes <laughs> I was like what were you doing last night bro <laughs> um, actually I was sitting out with my neighbors having some beers just hanging out because it's the last night uh that we really can do that in our house here like we're so we're moving right yeah. not to Texas not yet that's hopefully eventually in the works there's some stuff going on with custody battles and stuff like that of mm, uh, moving yeah but our owners hit us with, hey, you guys got to be out by September 8th. Oh. Our court stuff is 
in October. So hello, grandparents. Don't you want your grandkids to come live with you? Oh my God. You know, we're moving into my parents' house. That must house be a pilot a thing month. because I, I can't tell you. I mean, I've, I've done it myself um, multiple times. It just, it's a pilot thing, I think, because, you know, you have these, these job opportunities and base transfers and equipment and, you know, different carriers and you're constantly thinking about moving and it's so difficult, especially with kids and family in tow. And sometimes, you know, you really got to relay on or rely on family and friends to help out for those brief periods where you're not quite settled. And it's no, tough. And that's, and that's what it is, is that my parents are, are going to help us kind of catch us for the I don't know it depends on everything but like looking at like the next you know couple couple three months four months whatever we're going to be there just to have a spot because in you know a month time we're not going to have a home to to call our own right now which kind of sucks and this this weekend my wife was I wouldn't say lovely enough because you know most of the time she's wonderful to me you know and she takes care of a lot of everything in this house um uh, she also listens to the podcast when i'm on it to make sure that you know i don't you know bad mouth anything or anything like that she also wants to hear what i'm saying here it goes but um she i i know what you guys are saying now when you guys are uh on the road like that's kind of your little bit of like you know moment where uh-huh. you can kind of take a breather yeah you go to work to relax right i never thought that that statement would ring true until we started moving and it's like you know the, those couple of days that i was sitting on reserve in texas like I, it was you know just ugh. yeah and then exhausted uh-huh yeah it, but it's not like you get like a real reprieve from it. You know what I mean? Like you're still working. Yeah. You're still on call. You're still working. <laughs> you're, you're still in that mindset. And yet you, that is that time to yourself. And it's important to understand too, as a flight crew member um, in this career field, especially when you're starting out, there are, are certain ways to go about keeping a healthy relationship at home. And one of those ways is you're excited because you're, you're new at this industry and you're new at an airline and you want to share everything with your significant other because that's what you want. You want to tell them everything. You want, to, you want them to be in the experience with you. And yet you have to really know your audience because the last thing you want to do is call home and it's been a long morning. You know, one of your kids has, you know, written on the bathroom wall with crayons and the other kid is running around, you know, screaming their head off and fussy. And then you call and go, oh, honey, guess what? I just uh, had a beer with my captain and and we just went and had this fantastic meal and we had an adult conversation and I met, you know, some amazing aviators. Meanwhile, she might be on the other end of the phone just steaming ready to murder you. So know your audience. Um, and and definitely, I was told one time by a captain, uh, always downplay it. Like, oh, yeah, there's like the food sucks. The restaurant, you know, it's, it's terrible. And God, it was noisy. I just want to get my rest. And this hotel is terrible. <laughs> downplay uh, the hell out of it. 
I don't I don't need to downplay it when it's when you know when it's good or bad. Like I, I'm real with her. There's just times where you're right that you're not sitting there. Oh, you don't you don't know how beautiful it is here in Hawaii right now. <laughs> you know, as she's you know knee deep and you know shit at home. Right. So right. You know, I I get it, and it like I'm not trying to you know bad mouth being on the road or anything like that or bad mouth being at home but there is a little bit especially since we're in this whole moving process that like we're packing we're moving like literally um this weekend it was nice like we just kind of stayed home relaxed not there wasn't an agenda on anything that we needed to do um and uh it was nice to just have that because it's the last weekend that we're really gonna have that moment to ourselves yeah so yeah and especially in this house this is that was our last weekend that we were able to hang out with neighbors that we've had for the last five years and you know yeah spend time with them yeah well enjoy it and you know uh <laughs> a word of advice that i i was also given that i wanted to share with you what you do <clears throat> is you figure out once you have like a, a decent line you know and you you know what you're gonna fly find a layover that is just awful like it's a like a minimum rest 10 hour layover with a long van ride with a grumpy ass captain or something something like that you know and where the hotel is kind of dingy and there's like poor food options and it's just go 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 and and bring your spouse with you (laughs) and go yeah this is you know yeah for all the for all the times we're in hawaii you know by the pool having a Mai Tai, there's also those times where this is, you know, thunderstorms and delays and short layovers and long van rides and, you know, questionable hotel accommodations. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a balance, you know, and we know it, but sometimes our spouses don't. And it's important to just kind of make sure that we don't just tell them all the good, but share some of the difficult parts too. Yeah. yeah, no, the one thing that at least is good with my wife is she knows that for every Hawaii trip, there's, you know, three Little Rock trips. Hey, you know, what's wrong with Little Rock? I'm not saying I just it was the first thing that came to mind. Okay, I know, I know. <laughs> So but I wanted to catch up with you with with your IOE experience. Last time we had you on the show a few weeks ago, we we were talking about how you were just getting ready uh, to go on your, or you were on your IOE trip when you checked in with us, but you were just getting ready to, to finish up there and get signed mm-hmm. off to get out on the line, which means congratulations. You're now the low man on the totem pole. You're on reserve airport appreciation days, right? So oh, yeah. how did that yeah. IOE trip finish up? I know you were, we were giving you a hard time about your landings, which is <laughs> absolutely normal. Um, hey. but did that, did that, uh, shape up for you? What was, uh, well, there? so you also forgot that we haven't talked about really anything since my maneuvers validation. Ah, true, true. So we, they, we're, we're going back even further that like the last time I was on the show to update my training mm-hmm. was right before my maneuvers validation. Yeah. So how'd that go? The first one, not well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, everything was going decently, um, for me. I did, um, pretty well on everything except for my single engine ILS. 
Um, the V1 cut was good, but the, the approaches were, I mean, utter dog shit is the easiest way I can describe it. Like they just were not good. Um, I was over controlling the airplane. I was over managing the throttles, like everything. Like I was, I was the, the student pilot back learning to land, you know, where they're the, the instructor takes the airplane and they set the power to 1700 to beam the numbers and they just leave it in. And they're like two fingers and a pinky out flying that 172 all the way in. And they touch down. Right. That was me in the 172. And I would always tell my students, like, trust me, it gets better. You'll get this. Right. And, you know, here I am being that student. All right. 1700 to beam the numbers and. <laughs> down and like the planes the planes flying on the ILS and it's yeah all over the place like it's peg needle peg needle peg needle peg needle peg needle like right so I I I go down and I actually make it to minimums and surprisingly I'm still within that cone but I think at this point like the cone like I was in like the upper left quadrant of the cone not on it so I'm like I don't like this I'm going around you know, the right thing to do. Good choice. But that doesn't count as going missed off of the approach, right? That counts as me being an idiot. Well, unstabilized, and and you recognize that you didn't feel stabilized, and you went around, which is Mm -hmm. exactly what they want you to do. If if you don't feel comfortable with it, don't push it, because you could always go around. The the big difference with... (laughs) The big difference with the the go around that I executed versus the go around that I'm supposed to execute, right? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I was supposed to go around because I didn't have the runway environment in sight, not go around because the you were unstable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so two completely different uh, of the approaches. Um, so, anyways, I was hard on myself for about a day. Um, and I mean, it is what it is. It sucks. Um, I'm not going to put any blame. I'm not going to say anything about, uh, you know, that it, it was my fault. Like I, we've all been there. (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) So the saving grace is, is it's not uh, a checking event, right? It's not like my line check ride or LOE or line operating experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not that. So that was the saving grace. It's just, all right, let's retrain, let's redo it, you know? And I was able to to move forward pretty quickly with that. Like I had my retrain literally the next day with which this one bugged the crap out of me. It was the same guy who ended up failing me because I had the sim time at everything and my yeah. sim partner, the captain, was there. So um it was the, the same guy who ended up failing me. And that's like that's like kicking the nuts to me. Well, actually, <laughs> like, I mean that could be beneficial too, because they know exactly what they saw i mean they they want to see you succeed all all instructors oh, yeah. and all you know de's dpe's they all want to see you succeed because nobody wants to do the extra paperwork period i've been there i mean i never wanted to have to fill out the paperwork it's like ah, let's see that again <laughs> yeah i don't want to have to do all that stuff they don't want to have to do all that stuff so they want to see you succeed and, and to think that somebody is out to get you is just that's just usually not the case so it actually was probably beneficial for you to have the same person that saw where you were having difficulties because now they could focus on what they saw the day before and not read their notes and try to interpret what exactly they were seeing so how how did that and that's what happened was the when i went to actually do my 
MV the second time, the guy who ended up flying with, he's like, there, there's really no notes. So explain to me, you know, kind of what happened. And I'm like, well, so this is X, Y, Z, what I need to do. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. So my, my, my technical maneuvers validation mm-hmm. was a single, in, or uh, it was a V1 cut takeoff, which he goes, you, you already passed. So don't screw it up. Right. <laughs> uh, come back around and do the single engine approach to land. That was my. <laughs> that was that all was, you had to do left. That was the only yeah. thing left. Yes. Yeah. And, oh, and uh, um, an an engine cut uh, on the runway, like a, 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 a rejected takeoff. Yeah. Um, only because I just didn't get to it in my maneuvers validation. So it's literally all I did. Yeah. Um, and then I got to sit, and the the I guess my sim, the the seat filler captain, mm-hmm. he needed to have some. Uh, currency redone so he took the airplane and um uh the he the guy who was the the sim instructor cleared up the day in the sim and i got to sit and watch him just do three laps in the pattern oh just to get his landings in yeah 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 so So, you have to have three landings every 90 days and how does that get accomplished as an airline pilot well you know you're doing landings all the time so there are multiple ways you can update your currency. The first and easiest way is on the flight management system, you can enter a code on one of the pages that sends the message through the computer system to SOC that you just completed the landing or it was your landing in the aircraft. So the aircraft itself tells uh, the computer or the, the network that you as a pilot landed the airplane and that updates the computer system the second way you could do it with most carriers is they can you can log online to one of the company's website pages or whatever it is and you can in their portal you can update your landings that way as well and then the third option that most people don't realize is uh, you can actually call in at least with our company you can call in a phone tree and update it through the phone or you can call a chief pilot and and say hey uh, can you update my landings because sometimes you'll get a message if you forget to do that and you'll go hey your landings are about to expire in so many days and you can call the chief pilot or the chief pilot usually will call you which is a little embarrassing and be like, hey, have you updated your landings? I saw your schedule and you've flown 17 times in the last 30 days. Why haven't you updated your landings? Oh, I forgot. Um, and the chief pilot could actually update it in the computer for you. But you don't want get to, to get to that. So what I do is at least once or twice a trip after a landing, I'll throw that in there from the flight management system and, and update it. Now, yeah. why, why would anyone have their landing currency expire? Well, there's a multitude of reasons. If you're an augmented crew, meaning long-haul international flying where you have to have multiple pilots to take over for breaks because the flight is longer than eight hours, whatnot, under international um, operations, you'll have multiple first officers. First officer A, first officer B, um, at least one first officer is qualified in both seats so that when the captain takes a break, you know, they can accommodate their seat. Uh, when you're an FO, you're only allowed to sit in the right seat. You can't sit in the left seat. You can't even sit there. It, it's against the rules. Um, if that's not your seat. And for most captains, it's the same there. They sit in the left seat. They've been qualified in the left seat. They're no longer qualified in the right seat. So, so it's not like a captain can go, well, I'm just going to sit here and, 
and fly the first officer's duties, uh, or we don't have a first officer today, you got a captain in the back, and they're going to take over. Unless... I was going to say, they're starting to do some of that, where yeah. they're starting to, like, if they're short FOs, they're like, oh, hey, captain, right? like, you can fill this seat. Right, but there's only one way they can do that, and they were doing that right before I left uh, Sandpiper years ago, is they have to qualify the captain uh, in the right seat as well as the left seat. So they'll do their left seat uh, recurrent training, maneuvers validation, LOE, all that stuff from the left seat, and then somewhere in the training process, they're going to have them do an approach to landing and a landing from the right seat that then, I think they do have to do three landings, and that qualifies them in the right seat. Um, then, and only then, can a captain accommodate the first officer's position, unless they're an IOE check airman, or there's some other caveats to that too. So a lot of people don't realize when you're a first officer, you can't sit in the left seat ever. And when you're a captain, usually you can't sit in the right seat anymore, because you're now qualified only in the left, um, unless these caveats happen. We so, had, uh, when we were there was one of the guys and I were standby three the other day at the airport. So airport appreciation night, not, you know, day. Sure. And we had to wait till the last flight left to be released, which is fine. Right. It was like nine 30 ish. So we're looking and we're like, cool. Hey, last flight's gone. Let's, let's call get released. So I'm calling and they're like, no, 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 there, we have a couple delays, blah, 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 blah. Right. The, the same crew scheduling song and dance that everybody always yep. hears. Right. Just in case nope, you have to wait for, you know, this. The last flight so, has to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're waiting and we're like, okay. I'm like, I don't see that flight on the list. Or so she's like, call back at 10. So cool. Call back at 10. And she's, she's like, oh no, it's this flight. It's flight 4223. Right. Ch check and see when they're, when they leave, when their wheels up, that's when you guys can go. All right, cool. So I'm, I, my buddy hears me. He's, we're sitting in the, the lounge downstairs um, and he, hear, he hears the flight number. So he starts looking it up so he can see how, like the, what the delay is and all that stuff. And he goes, that's a 145. Ah, you're... Oh, wait, no, no. Oh, no, no. It gets better. <laughs> it gets better. He goes, that's a 145. So... I'm off the phone at this point, right? Because I got the flight number and we're tracking it. And he calls and he, the lady's like, oh, by the way, yeah, you, you have to wait till that one leaves. And he's like, but it's a 145. She goes, no, no, no. What if they need to come back to the gate and change airplanes, Swap change aircraft. equipment now? Right, right, right. <laughs> and both him and I are like, okay, right. We can maybe understand that. But there was no reserve standby captains or no reserve captains period available so to matter. staff that flight. Right. And so him and I are just looking at each other, like I'm junior to him by like six numbers. And he's like, so why are the two of us here right. then? Like what, what are, what are the two of us going to go do? Y you're senior to me. So you're sitting in the left seat and you know, you don't know all the flows. So you're going to be looking at the study guide or the AOM one while we're doing this. And like, it's not, it, it just, it, the logic behind of what she was saying made absolutely no sense. Why are you trying to be logical, Alex? Come on. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, sometimes there is logic in thought process. There's a crow flying. And if that crow hits that window right over there in the terminal, that might create a ripple effect. I might need you. So you need to there's stay cloud, where you're at. There's a cloud over Kansas. You guys can't fly, you know, VFR <laughs> from, uh, you know, California to Texas. Yeah. 
But uh, and thank you <laughs> for sharing that, and thank you for sharing your 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 experience uh, with your maneuvers validation as well. I know it's a humbling thing to go through. I've gone through it. We've all at least gone through it at some point in our careers, where you just have to come back and and, and do it again. And, and I'm happy to hear that you passed it so easily on the second go around. The other uh, thing I, we never really uh, finished up on was. Uh, how do you go unqualified in an airline? Well, if you're oh, yeah. one of those first officers uh, for international wide body flying, that all you do is really relieve the other pilots uh, during break time um, for how many hours they take a break, um, that you never might get a landing in. So if you're FOB or FOC or however you are, um, it's possible that you may not get any landings in in 30 days. Or if you're a reserve pilot, more realistically, domestically, you're a reserve pilot and you're not doing much flying or the only time you've flown, the captain goes, well, it's, it's you know, you're deadheaded out and then now you're cool. flying one leg back and the captain goes, well, it's my leg. So, okay, you didn't get that landing. And then you're on reserve again and you might not fly again for another week or two. And then you, you get you get a trip and it's another one of these things where you deadhead out and fly one leg back and the captain goes, well, it's my landing. So <laughs> you might go 30, 60, 90 days without getting any uh, landings in or maybe you got one or two landings in but you didn't get all three so they have they've elapsed and now you're no longer current so what you have to do is travel to the simulator for a day and in the simulator they will run you through three takeoff and landings to a full stop in order to get current and then from that day forward you're the clock starts over again for 90 days and it's a revolving clock. It's not like you have to get three landings all, you know, in a day. It's just whenever the last landing is, and there's a code you can look up in the computer. It tells you what your last landing was. Um, or the most, the most, uh, third most, uh, historic landing uh, out there. So yeah, that's how landing currencies happen at an airline. Now you, you finished, your maneuvers validation, you got typed in the aircraft. Uh, then you had, you went home for a couple of days, right? And then they scheduled you with IOE, initial operating experience. And that's where you're a fully qualified airline pilot on the Embraer 175, yet you've never touched the physical controls of a physical air, aircraft. Nope. So they put you in with an IOE instructor, initial operating experience instructor, which is a, a captain who is senior and hopefully very well versed, a good uh, teacher, basically a CFI at the airline level. And that person can fly the airplane from either seat. They're qualified for both. So they give IOE both to captains and to first officers. Uh, they're usually very patient people. There's a lot of talking, a lot of explaining. Um, and... It basically, it's a. I used to say when I was a check airman, I used to say I do three jobs. I I fly as a captain. I fly as a first officer sometimes, and I'm also trying to teach all simultaneously. And mm -hmm. so it's basically single pilot IFR teaching, <laughs> and and it could get pretty tricky. And yes, as a check airman, if that's something that you think you might want to do in your career. You can anticipate filling out a lot of ASAPs because you can't catch it all, no. <laughs> and and that's okay, and that, and that's normal too. They an ASAP is the um, reporting system that we have when we mess up as pilots. Mm -hmm. Now, if you file an ASAP, uh, that report goes to a committee, usually comprised 
of one union rep, one airline representative, and one FAA representative. And they read those reports. They're de-identified. Uh, the identities are kept by a gatekeeper. Um, and then they review the, the report. If they find that the report was an honest mistake, it was an error that wasn't trapped, and no other agencies came and said, no, we're, we want these guys you know, reprimanded for what they did. Then, after a period of time, they say, well, okay, thank you for your submission, and no other action is necessary here. Unless, let's say, a control tower manager decides, nope, these guys violated the airspace, and we want them uh, violated. Uh, then there's an investigation, and, and there's some further going-ons. But 9 out of 10... The ASAP will protect you because you said, hey, man, I've screwed up and I'm volunteering the information to you because I messed up. I'm, my bad. The only other time where you would really get in trouble is if you did something out of intent. So you intentionally oversped an aircraft or you, whatever, whatever it is. Um, then it does, there's, the ASAP there's a won't couple protect of caveats you. with it. Yeah. Um, like intent, intent and anything with drugs or alcohol are like the big like the ASAP won't save you, but right. everything else you're right. It, it, it's there to, I'm not saying it's get out of jail free, but it's there to be like, Hey, he self told you can't do anything about it now. Right. Right. So uh, you can always ASAP it just ASAP it as captain Roger Victor would say, just ASAP it. I actually have yeah. that bumper sticker one of these days. <laughs> Put it somewhere. Um, so you went through IOE. Tell us about IOE. So my first trip with IOE, um, I was with a wonderful captain um, who was finishing up his time at Sandpiper. I was his last sequence at Sandpiper. So your first uh, on-the-line experience was his last? Yes. We have a picture to commemorate and everything. And when we caught up in Mexico, we were on like day three or four of our, of our sequence and... Uh, he, he was he was good. He was patient with me. He helped me, you know, get the basics of it and get through everything so that I can kind of, you know, understand it more and, and see the real world versus the schoolhouse way of doing things, because there is a complete change of how you do things in the real world versus what you do in the schoolhouse. Um, it's just little nuances of maybe on the guidance panel or um, maybe the way that you program something into the box or, or whatever. Right. But there's differences of the way you do it for the school and the way you do it out on the line, which I think that they should be taught the same anyways, but that's neither here nor there. Not my, I'm just a little lowly FO at this point. So I can't, you know, voice that opinion, but so he got me through um, pretty well. Um, when we were joking about not being able to land or anything like that, like it's, it's a humbling experience to go from, you know, 172 where everything that you do, you can grease it on, you know, exactly how and what to do and what the control inputs are and all yeah. that. Um, but then you get, you know, to this airplane and she's heavy. She, she has a lot of inputs and it's a, you know, it's a humbling experience and it's a different sight picture and it's a different feel and it's a different, like, I'm rounding out at 30 feet versus three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, um, you got, you got Bob that talks to you, you know, on the way down and that's kind of your cadence caller of like, 
okay, am I doing a decent approach, right? If you're hearing 50, 40, 30, 20, you know, if you're hearing that, everything's good. But if you hear 50, 40, 30, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was me the other night. 50, 40, 20, uh, what, what? <laughs> or, or you get the 50, 40, 30. <laughs> 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 yeah float the float <laughs> yeah. so there's little nuances that you got to learn and everything like that and he he was really good um i got to go my first sequence was um i they deadheaded me to dallas and i picked up and met and went to aguas calientes okay. mexico yeah so got to overnight in aguas uh twice so i went to uh dfw aguas calientes overnight mm-hmm Back to DFW, back to Aguas Calientes overnight. Okay. So that's where I caught up with you guys when I was sitting in the, the airport and mm-hmm. uh, all that. And then Aguas Calientes to DFW to Springfield, overnight in Springfield. And then the next day was my last sequence, and that was just Springfield to Dallas. Was that Springfield, Missouri or Springfield, Illinois? Uh, Springfield, Missouri. Missouri, Missouri. Did you get to go to the Bass Pro Outlet? No. No, it was, it, that one was pretty much a, a, a slam click kind of night. Oh, the short one at the Holiday Inn. Yeah. So that, it was, it was a, it was a shorter evening than, than what we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, that one was pretty good. Uh, the flight crew that I had was really awesome. Um, the, the number two was, uh, was giving me crap for my landings. Cause in the back of the 175, it's, that's the telltale place, right? That's where right. you really feel everything, like yeah. the the swaying of the airplane, all that. So he was giving me crap for it, which rightfully so. We were it was just fun, friendly banter. Yeah. Um, and you know, that that was IOE sequence one. It everything was in the books. I flew, I think, 16 hours or something like that in total. Not me flying the whole time, right? But PFing and PMing. Right. Um pilot flying, pilot, mo- pilot monitoring, yes. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, forget that we've got some listeners that probably might not know what those are. Right. So I definitely got my experience on both. And then my next sequence, um, I get a call from and I, this captain was incredible. I, 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 if I could speak wonders, he just, he, he's good at what he does. He's able to teach it in a way that, you know, he can break it down for you just in the best way really super awesome guy um it's funny so we were talking he was a um an s3 uh driver well right seater uh same as our uh, own captain elmore captain elmore mm-hmm. um and i was like oh man so i you know i know kevin and like i was trying to text kevin because he's like i know people by call signs only not you know not real names i'm like oh good because you know i don't know his call sign so i'm texting kevin apparently they were like if this was um my captain chris you'd see that yeah and this was kevin Uh, they had like a little bit of overlap in their careers at the same places mm -hmm. but um chris was more kind of on the way out when kevin was on the way in i gotcha so he did his time on active duty and I forget the reasons why he, he got out. Um, I think because they were phasing out the S three and it was just it. So he went to become a, a three lettered agency agent Gotcha. for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he said that when he was applying, 
um, he was applying to the, the FBI and he was applying to um, this wonderful airline called Value Jet at the time. Okay. And uh, I, I made the joke. I was like, oh, you mean the Florida hedge trimmers? <laughs> you know you didn't <laughs> oh i totally did because i remember that in the 90s right like that was that yeah. was the big crash yeah big value and yeah. uh he was uh he, he was talking and he's like i was sitting there and i like i wanted to fly but you know my wife was kind of like you know what's the what's value jet pay and he's like twenty thousand a year but what's the fbi pay Forty-one thousand a year and she's like um so what's the question here yeah and he's you know he's kind of kicking himself like did i make the right decision and he's in the academy in quantico and one of his friends goes hey come here check this out and they go to the tv and it's the value jet hedge trimmer crash and promptly three weeks later value jet shut down so thanks thanks wife (laughs) yeah and so he had he had a great career he loved it uh doing the fbi stuff and um he you know and then he got to the end and he's like well i want to fly again so he applied and he was the very first new hire class for the 175s oh okay so he's been at sandpiper so he was there when i was six years um and uh yeah he he absolutely loves it he he really kind of worked with me on smoothing out my landings and smoothing everything out and um yeah. So, uh, but that trip was fun. Uh, the first day was an easy day. We flew from DFW to Des Moines, Iowa. Oh yeah. DSM. And that would, that was, that was day one. That was it. That's all we had to Didn't do. You love those. What was yeah, that? Like a oh, 20 hour layover or something like that? Yeah. Well then the next day was DFW or sorry, uh, Des Moines, Chicago, St. Louis, Austin, Jacksonville. And we were delayed two hours in Chicago because St. Louis was just utter garbage. Like it was, it was the, where the, the rainstorm yeah. had come through and the flooding was super bad. And it was just thunderstorm after thunderstorm. And yeah. we're talking to the, uh, the dispatch through um, a cars, right. Where he's teaching me how to like, just free text and talk to them. And he's kind of like trying to press the dispatcher because we keep getting a delay keep getting a delay right and he's trying to just like okay look we're keeping this plane the rest of the legs right we're this plane is going to st louis going to austin going to jacksonville nice so he was trying to press and say hey why don't you just cancel this right because we're now two hours late why don't you just cancel this send us to austin and let us continue on our way because we had right. to take a two-hour extension as it stood right because of all this so cancel um, one complete the other three rather than canceling all three or all four yeah yeah so you know and the dispatcher was like nope we're just gonna wait another 30 minutes <laughs> so anyways we finally get the green light to go to st louis we're taxiing out of chicago and chicago actually is not that bad like it's it's chaos but it's so organized chaos yeah and it's, it's so, so used to it yeah it, honestly like i think chicago is easier to navigate in and around than dallas is mm-hmm. in my opinion it is so yeah um anyways we're we're taxiing and we're in the 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 lima um the lima gates yeah 
um we we get pushed out and we're in the kilo alley and all that stuff and we're coming down and we're going to do the november five on two eight right takeoff okay and so we're like alpha 18 alpha 19 if you know where i'm talking about right yep and ground calls us and says you need to go back to the gate ops just told us that you need to go back to the gate okay and that's exactly it my captain's like okay you don't you don't hear that from ground you no, know not I mean? often yeah well were you not monitoring operations on your taxi out young man i think we were doing i think we were doing something else and i don't yes. quote, don't i don't even remember at this point but anyways <laughs> i i think no i think we were still monitoring it but they didn't call us you uh, know yeah so for most people anyways. don't that's the thing you know and and just to, real quick uh shelf that for a second I wanted to mention this. Now, no, this is not uh, anything more than technique. So we have two radios in the airplane, okay? The number one radio is always dedicated to air traffic control, or ATC, which is ground metering, ground, tower, departure, all the FAA, ATC frequencies. The number two radio is dedicated usually as a technique to all the company operations, the ramp control, the operations, uh, all that, you know, uh, maintenance. Now, what most people do is when they're number one for departure and they switch over to tower frequency, then on the number two radio, at that point, they'll switch over to the guard frequency, 121.5, right? And then they'll keep guard active on the number two radio at lower volume throughout the flight. Because what happens when you miss a handoff or ATC misses you... And then you're now you're flying. You're like, hey, I haven't talked to anybody in like half an hour. What's going on? And now you don't know what frequency. They might call you on guard saying, hey, you should be on whatever, 124.5. So that's a good technique. Now, some people, as soon as they push off the gate and they're no longer talking to ramp or anything else, they'll immediately go to guard while they're taxing out. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I developed a technique years ago where... I'm talking to ramp control, and as soon as I go on with ground, I leave the ramp. I no longer need to monitor them because they're not going to call me and go, hey, wait a minute. Um, then I always flip over to operations, and I'll leave operations in the number two radio until we switch over to tower, we're ready for departure, we're next. Because of your very scenario, and even here at Mainline, I've had them call us going, hey, you need to come back. Um, and sometimes, well, most people, I should say, I don't think they do that. So they immediately don't even bother with the radio. They just go right to make a phone call to the air traffic control tower going, tell those guys to come back. Um, so mm-hmm. what happened with you? Why, why did you have to go back? So we're already on a two-hour delay at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're getting back. And so my captain goes, I'll deal with the crowd, right? I'll deal with getting us clearance back and everything. You get on the horn with uh, ops and figure out why we're going back. So he's got his clearance and we're turning around and going back and, and uh, I'm on, I'm on with ops and you know, this is Sandpiper one, two, three, four. Uh, what's up? Like, why are we, why are we, we were told we need to go back and ops was just like, yeah, can you go back to the gate? We're like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, why do we need to go back to the gate? Oh no, you just need to go back to the gate. Why do we need to go back to the gate? You're not understanding why, why? And they go, Oh, you have some more passengers that you need to pick up. <laughs> How often do you hear that? Well, yeah, that's the thing is my captain was like, are, are, are we serious right now? Like, 
we we're going back to pick up more passengers. No, they that the windows closed. Like we're 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 late. Like so he's kind of grumbling. Right. He's he we we it's park a, at the gate. It's you a know, big deal. Do, yeah. Do a nice little uh, pull up the parking brake, and he's I want to see these VIPs getting on this flight. I don't know as he's turning around and opens the door, and it's three legacy gate agents that are going down to St. Louis to help deal with the cancellations and rebookings of everything that had just happened down there. That makes sense. Yeah. But it was just kind of, why couldn't ops say, Hey, we've got some gate agents that are coming because then the captain would be like, F that we're out of (laughs) here. Cause that's exactly what would happen. I'm telling you. (laughs) I mean, but you know what? Like, they could have told us that in that they were the passengers that we were picking up, not that we had passengers. Right. Like, but here's the thing, you know, the airline industry, our number one job, yes, is to, one, obey the law, FAA regulations. Number two, operate in a safe manner so that everybody gets to go home unscathed, uninjured every day on every flight. Okay. Those are the number one, number two items on the mission statement for every airline you'll ever work for. Number three is and always should be to get people from point A to point B for the ticket that they purchased. And what is disturbing about the story you just told us is that the company dictated that you return to the gate to get staff over to a location to help with cancellations and all that stuff. And that's fantastic. That's wonderful. And I applaud the efforts. Yeah, it was a big deal. It's a big deal to do an RTG or return to gate because now you got to do a lot of stuff. Weight and balance has to be changed. Now you might have to up fuel again, add fuel. You know, you have to get back up to enough fuel for the flight. You're adding weight, get a new weight and balance. You got all these procedures. You got you to gotta let SOC know that you return to gate. So you get pay credit for that, right? So because it's not technically not a, a flight leg because you never yeah. left the airport and you le- you came back. So you never did an air return. So it's technically not part of anything. Um, but, oh, and also that's not part of flight time. So yeah, you can't add that to your MOT because you didn't take off. Um, so it's not considered a, a leg from the FAA. You get paid for your time, but, but not flight time. Um, but here's the thing. When is the last time you heard the company going out of their way to get a passenger on a flight that's already departed the gate? If not, the passenger that's sitting there 10 minutes prior and they go, well, we closed the door 15 prior, so sorry, you didn't make your flight. And meanwhile, you're sitting there waiting for fuel, waiting for bags, waiting for catering. You're like, get them on the plane. They're like, no, 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 we can't, we can't take a delay. Our job is to get people from point A to point B. Now, I'm not saying we should take a delay on every flight, but... When's the last time you heard a company going out of their way for passengers? You, you, Not operationally you related. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't. It's, it's and and when it does happen, it makes the news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And that and that, you know, at the end of the day, like it it was I understand again why the company did it, right? They were trying to get down to to help, you know, with this huge debacle that was going on in St. Louis. Yeah. But at the same time, like 
were there no other flights available? Was it the next, you know, were we the only one going? Was what, why couldn't they get people down there? Why couldn't they call people into St. Louis? You know what I mean? Like people who live in St. Louis, why couldn't they get them there? There's a whole litany of questions, but so we, we went back and we picked up three gate agents and flew our merry way down to St. Louis. Um, And then that one was uneventful. It was uneventful whatever getting in and out there right and then austin in uneventful and then jacksonville uneventful go 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 yep so and it turned like i think one of those was supposed to have like an hour break i want to say it was austin was supposed to have like an hour break which turned into a turn you know because what else are we doing now now we're late so um and then the next day we wake up out of jacksonville and it's Jacksonville, Chicago, Austin, New Orleans. So not a, not a bad little little jaunt on that one. Now, again, that one was uneventful. Nothing to write home about. Nothing special, right? Just the typical dance around the thunderstorms because it's yeah. summer. Um, and then the final day, which was my line check day, um, was I flew both legs. Um, mainly so I could get a warm up leg, uh, out of, uh, going before I went into my line check. Mm-hmm. So I flew from new Orleans, uh, to Austin, did the turn and went to, um, back to Dallas. Yeah. So, and yeah. my line check was super, again, super uneventful, like nothing to write home about, like all the line check is, is there, it's basically a check ride, right? Where the, the, you know, your, your check instructor um, or check instructor, your check airman turns off the instructor mode mm-hmm. and turns on the, I'm just a captain mode. Right. And, and that's what it was, is he was just watching to make sure that I could do my job, flying the airplane perfectly fine, landing it perfectly fine and have no events. And that's what it was. Right the coolest thing about the whole line check experience or this IOE experience was my family happened to be in Louisiana at the time. They were in Lafayette, not new Orleans. They weren't on my plane. We're not going there. Um, but they got into Dallas a little bit before me. Um, and it just so happened that we were going to be on the same flight home back to Ontario. Um, so, they got to do something that really rarely ever happens anymore. They met me at my gate. Nice. Did they so hold I, up signs and say, dad, we love you. <laughs> no, they, uh, I got, we could see, we could barely see, you know what I mean? Like you can see the shadows, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's about it. But like, I could see my littlest one and my, uh, my wife in, in the window. My oldest was sitting down at the time. I'll send you a picture. Um, but it was it was so cool because to me it was like it was my childhood all over again you know what i mean like i got to do that with my dad yeah meet him at the gate in la yeah and it was just it was so cool to to have that experience again you know but from the this side of the house so i'm sending you that picture so you can catch it it's the circle of life my friend oh yeah so no, IOE's done. Um, and so this is a big thing for, and I'm going to put this out um, for everybody who's out there that's listening, who's in this transition phase of what airline do I need to go to? And, and you know, what's, uh, 
what, how is it looking for everything? One of the big questions to ask when you go into interviews and stuff like that is what is training time looking like? Mm. Because I have a buddy who's at one of the other regional carriers and we'll call them, um, gold standard, the gold standard. Yes. Yeah. Right. We'll call We'll call them the gold standard, uh, regional carrier. And he, him and I have been texting. He was at my flight school. You met him. Um, Daniel, the, the bigger kind of, uh, army guy. Got it. Um, so he went to gold standard and he sent me a picture the day he got his type certificate, May 16th, which just happened to be the day that I started in doc at envoy. Okay. Uh, the day that I started in doc at Sandpiper. Okay. I'm finished with IOE. I'll just leave that there. I'm finished with IOE. And he's not. No. Okay. Yeah. September, October timeframe. Yeah. So he was uh, at least a month ahead of you. And yet now he's a month behind. Oh, he, no, he was at least two, well, at least two to three months ahead of me. Cause we went through ATP CTP together. Mm. in february and he went right into gold standards training program uh he hit gold standards training right away and i think there was like a like he had to take a little breaks here and there and whatnot after indoc uh basic indoc but he definitely rolled through and finished his loe or whatever they call it may 16th because i have that picture mm-hmm. so he he was done when i started so that's a two-month window right I'm done with everything. He's still waiting. And this is now going back into what we were talking about earlier about sim currency. He's more than likely going to have to go into the simulator to get recurrent before he even touches the airplane. Right. Right. And and that's the worst. That's the worst feeling. If you ever have a hang up in the middle of your initial uh, training and then you got to, you're like 30 days at home or whatever. And then you got to go back and you're like, okay, you ready? And like, well, wait a minute. I need to. I haven't touched this is not like I've been doing this for years, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's a great question to ask what the turnaround time is for training. Um, because if they're, if they hesitate <laughs> giving you an answer, eh, you might want to look at all your options. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to pedal sandpiper or anything. You know what I mean? Like it's a good airline. It has its ups it has its downs. It has its good. It has its bads. All of them do. Right. The biggest thing is there, I, I was actually texting with another former student of mine and she's coming up to the point where she's applying and all this stuff uh, to airlines are starting to look, she's like 1300 hours, just got her multi. Right. So I'm like, okay, now's the time to start applying. Right. Um, and at the end of our conversation, this is, this is what I, I told her. I said, um, but seriously, these are things for you to consider, right? Future growth at the company, whether that's what the company's doing or what the, you know, the route structure, everything's looking right. Like what's their future growth look like, which I think is a good, a good thing because remind me, um, there's talks of us opening another base, Okay. serious talks about opening another base. So that, that, that's a point to come back. So I'm going to shelf that. Um, future growth at the company, training timeframes, right? What we just talked about, uh, pay and bonus structure, non-rev travel, commuting, upgrade times, fleet, and union. Yeah. 
And I think those are all very, in my opinion, I think those are all valid points and maybe a more seasoned aviator can kind of help and see if there's anything else to add to that list. But I think those are all good, strong talking points for someone coming in, like to, to start questioning. Yeah. How you choose, you know, the odds are probably 90% of the people that if you ask them, why do you work for the company you work for? Their answer is going to be is because they were the first ones to hire me. Plain and simple. It's not because I chose them. I didn't, you know, no, they're the first ones to offer you the job. Let's not mince words. So I, I always find it ridiculous and, and there's no other word for it. Absolutely ridiculous. When I hear pilots bad mouth other pilots from other carriers because they work for that other carrier. It's like, dude, the reason you work here is because they were the first ones to hire you. You know, uh -huh. you, you, you were bobbing for apples and that's the one you picked. Okay. And so it's so important that now in this industry at a time when if you've got a license in your pocket and you've got some flight time under your belt and you want to jump ship and go to another carrier, no problem. I mean, there everyone's hiring, including mainline carriers. I mean, to go to a major airline from CFI, I to an airline like Frontier or Spirit, which are hiring straight off of the GA flight line uh -huh. right now, that is unheard of. This is the first time in history. So, yes, you now can say, well, I picked that airline because I had multiple offers. Even you had multiple offers without I even had, having I, I had gold standard and, and sandpiper. Yeah. And you picked one because of your history and, and your quest in this aviation journey for a particular reason. And that's the reason you were there. You chose it. You could have mm -hmm. gone the other way and you could have been like your friend and still been waiting for IOE and training to be completed. So, I mean, it's all, we're all in this together. I've said it a hundred times on this program. I've been saying it for the last 20 years. The second that you pin those funky little cracker back, cracker box uh, wings on your t-shirt or your <laughs> uniform, you know, that the, plastic or metal or whatever it is made in china uh, wing set that pokes you yeah. every time you put your seatbelt on um every time you put those on you're part of an elite group that less than one percent of the population of this country let alone the planet can do not yeah. choose to do but can do not any not everyone can operate an aircraft safely uh -huh. it, it is it is a lot of knowledge to to have and retain, to be responsible for. There's a lot of personality issues that need to all fall in line. You have to be level-headed. You have to be able to, I hate to say multitask because that's not really a thing, but you have to be able to juggle a lot. And, yep. uh, you know, you have to make really sound choices under an extreme amount of pressure and stress and anxiety. And that's what being a pilot is all about, to be cool under pressure. So the fact that you got wings on should be enough. I see another pilot. I always, you know, do the whole nod your head, say yeah. good morning, say hello. If I That's if they don't say I've hello to me, that. I don't like that. I mean, when somebody passes by and just kind of gives you the stare down and they don't say good morning or the nod, head nod or something, I don't care what carrier you fly for. I think it's rude. And No, and that's something that I've I've realized that it's like holy shit, like you walk in the terminal and 
you're, doesn't matter what airline you work for, right? You, you see it, and you, everybody gives you the. What's up? You know, no, or or you get the hey, was, you know, like something like that. Like Morning. you're getting acknowledged. Yeah, I'll walk up to a and, gate and I see somebody there in a uniform from another place, and I'm flying it. I'll walk up like as if I'm not flying it, uh, just to mess with them. I'm like, hey, you, you trying to get on this flight too? And it, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, how's it look? Is it full? I'm like, I don't know, but you know what? If, uh, if it is full, you're always welcome up on the flight deck. Hey, I'm Tony. And next thing you know, I'm having a 30 minute conversation with this. They're already boarding. And the captain's like, dude, are you coming down? <laughs> you know, just, we have to take care of each other. We uh, absolutely have to take care of each other. No, it, it definitely, it, it's one of those that, again, that's part of the, the main reason why I'm, I'm on this podcast with you is, I, you, you always say we get here because of, we stood on the shoulders of the aviators before us. Well, guess what, Tony, I was standing on your shoulders. So now it's my turn to have someone stand on mine. Absolutely. If I can help one person, you know, get, move on and get some kind of, I wouldn't say mentorship, right. But like some kind of advice that wasn't available for me, mm-hmm. you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not discrediting my dad by any means. But my dad is so far out of this loop yeah. that like all we can talk about is like actual flying sequences, not anything else. Right. The industry has changed. We're seeing it right, you know, happening right before our eyes. Um, I, and I felt the same way, which is the reason I started this podcast in 2019 is because I felt like I owed it to all of those that came uh, before me to help spread the word that the knowledge they, they gave me and to the future generations. And, and I'm loving it. And we'll have more with Alex D right after the break. Breaking news just in some uh, pictures have been posted on the internet. It seems to me that this the photo of a, a Qatar aircraft is proof that the light poles in Chicago are much stronger than the ones in DFW. Uh, it looks I'm like a, a, Google this. a Qatari, looks like a 777. Uh, not really sure if it was under tow or under its own power, but the right wing has made contact with a light pole at night at Chicago O'Hare. It uh, has bent the pole. The pole did not fall over. It's a pretty big light pole. Um, and about uh, five feet from the wing tip on the right side of this 777, it looks like uh, it, it must have been moving at a clip because almost halfway through the wing. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, this is... Uh, oh, wow. Four hours ago. Okay. Yeah, this is... Yeah, it is breaking news. Um, you know, so ladies and gentlemen, make sure you check your wingtips and your clearance and when you deviate from the yellow center line of the taxiway or the yellow guideline on the ramp you're in no man's land you're not going to oh, be protected wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's like uh wow yeah and the pole didn't fall over no i mean it's leading but wow yeah <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. So you had a bad day, huh? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I just 
whew, someone's ass is on the line for that because yeah. holy. Yeah. But, you know, hey, uh, be careful out there, guys and gals. Uh, the career you save may be your own. But let's well, move like on. The, the, the United one that they backed into another plane. Did you see that one? Was that recent? Yeah, there was a United flight that they were on their pushback and their wingtip ran into the uh, horizontal stabilizer of the plane next to them on the gate. Yeah. Yeah, it, and there's, there's plenty. There's plenty um instances like that when you go back for your first recurrent when you get to human factors i love when they show the video and every airline does it they show the videos of all the accidents uh the ground accidents uh that have happened the incidents and accidents that happen on the ground taxiing that's where most of your issues are going to be because you're in close proximity to men and equipment and other aircraft so let's talk about secondary barriers now, I recently saw an article on the Points Guy that talked about the mandating secondary barriers on the flight deck. Now, there's a lot of security-sensitive information that, as pilots, we cannot talk about. But we can talk about the protocols that were put in place after 9-11. Now, we went from having a, a very flimsy door, basically a lav door, separating the cockpit from the cabin with a, a lock that could be easily open from the outside to a bulletproof door with uh, magnetic code locks and, and, and keys and all kinds of stuff. And these barriers have been put in place to protect the flight deck from intrusion. But it's not enough. We've been saying this for years. I've been seeing these prototypes for these secondary barriers. Uh, it's basically an another door. Uh, of some sort that would separate the cabin from the first class galley so that when uh, there's a, a passing of the meals, passing of coffee, uh, a laugh break that needs to happen for the physiological needs of the pilots. So instead of using the methods that we use now, which anybody that flies regularly knows the methods we use now, um, instead, there will be a physical barrier. And there are plenty of companies out there that have been developing these barriers. So according to the points guy, the FAA introduced a rule requiring airlines to have this secondary barrier installed on all of their aircraft. The FAA has officially proposed this rule for commercial airplanes to have this secondary barrier to, employees, to improve safety for pilots in the flight deck or on the cockpit. Uh, they use the word cockpit. They're not woke. Flight crews, <laughs> flight crews keep us safe when we travel to visit loved ones, explore new places, and conduct business. They, too, deserve to be protected. And this rulemaking is an important step forward. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said in a statement on Wednesday announcing the move. The secondary flight deck barrier would prevent unauthorized intrusion when the cockpit door is open four times, such as when a pilot needs to use the restroom or get drinks and food, as we mentioned. The proposed rule would require manufacturers to install a secondary barrier for commercial airlines manufactured beginning two years after the rule's approval. So after the rule gets approved, within the two years, all new airplanes need to have it. And I believe there is a, 
uh, retrofit um, part of the regulation as well. The regulation would take effect following a 60-day public commenting period and formal approval. So I'll put a link in the show notes. What I highly recommend is if you have the time, check it out. Go to the FAA website. Put in your public commenting uh, period. Uh, I personally think it's a fantastic idea. Uh, Safety is, again, what the number one or number two uh, mission statement of all airline carriers. Uh, We definitely need something like this in place. Um, The guidelines and rules for the secondary barrier have long been in the works. The FAA issued guidance as far back as 2007 for safety procedures to be used when the main flight deck door is open. After the 9-11 attacks, the FAA required flight deck doors to be straightened and secured, uh, but the administration put policies in place to ensure the door is locked at all times, except when the pilot needs to exit. And, you know, the article goes on and people that are happy that this is happening and and all the, the little nuances of how we need to make things better and safer. Um, and I've seen quite a few. Have you seen any of these, Alex, the, the secondary barriers? I have not uh, yet, only because like the, the, air, the airline, the plane that I'm on, we don't have. Then this is my thought behind it is the 175 does not have much room from the, the, the flight deck. Mm-hmm. as you're going into the first class galley in the lab like it's literally like you open the door and you're also like in the way of the door to the lab so I, i'm trying to sit here in my mind while we're doing this and like think of how a secondary barrier comes into play you know and i i, I know what they're trying to get away from uh I, they're trying to get away from the whole procedure process that that we do for you know i'm not going into it because obviously the security but you know what i'm talking about when we when we have to call and get a lav break or we're getting a food break right Right. and and it's a process and i and i understand it but like some airplanes like the 145 or even some of the smaller ones that have you know very 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 limited space it's not going to be it's going to be more difficult to try to implement something on something like that you know, like on more of these bigger airplanes, you could put something in place that, you know, stops passengers from coming up, basically being that secondary barrier before they actually get to the the the, the flight deck. Yeah. It just it I I just I'm curious to see how it's gonna work on like especially my airplane and smaller of yeah. like how they're gonna implement this. Now the the every manufacturer will have probably their own version, and the prototypes I've seen uh, was one that United helped uh, develop through uh, a third party, and it was a really interesting barrier. It was right there where normally the curtain would go f- between first class and the galley, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of a curtain, <clears throat> it is a bar that attaches to the I guess the the, the cabin divider. And then what the flight attendant will do is pull the bar across and there'll be cables every four inches. Mm. So when it locks into place on the other side of the cabin divider, it creates a wall of wires that basically creates a barrier, a door that's see-through. Yeah. Right? Because it's just cable. It's like like cables, like think of prison bars, but instead of Mm -hmm. vertical, horizontal. 
And so these steel braided cables would stretch across and be taut and locked in place. So now you have a, a secondary barrier. So when the cockpit doors opened for that brief moment of time uh, and the, the swapping of the flight attendant and the pilot, whatever uh, happens, instead of, a, instead of the present method, which could be breached, with, oh, enough, yeah. with enough effort. Um, now there'll be a secondary barrier, which will be impossible to be breached by a human, let's just say. Well, and, that, and that was one of the things that I was going to say is the, the primary method that we have now. If you're sitting in first class and you watch the, the whole ordeal go down, you know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Like you, you can't tell me that like, once you see that thing go, and like I said, the, the security stuff put in place that we can't talk about, but once you see that start, you can't tell me that someone sitting there watching it, you're, you're not going to know exactly what's about to happen and, and right. when to make that, that jump, if you will. You right. know what I mean? Right. And it, it, it's definitely doable. There, there are plenty of security videos that the airlines have developed yeah. to show us how it's possible and how to look out for these kind of things. Um, another thing is if you're a pilot and you're about to step out mid-flight to go and use the lav and you look out the peephole, what are you looking for? Now we have the security protocols. Every airline has their own independent protocols, but if it's pitch black back there, cause it's a late night flight and the, and they have darkened all the lights uh, in the galley and in first class because it's, you know, a late night flight and you can't see anything don't open the door i can't tell you how many times i've seen this you call the flight attendant back and go hey you need to bring the lights at least dim in the galley because i can't see you i don't know who you are all i see is a silhouette that's not that is not okay um so mm-hmm. don't get lax with with security because especially now considering the current uh government political events that have happened the recent uh, execution that happened uh, over there with the, the Al-Qaeda's, I guess now number one, he was bin Laden's number two. The leader of the terrorist group Al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawari, was killed in a CIA drone strike over the weekend in Kabul, Afghanistan. The Egyptian physician and militant was first jailed after his complicity in the 1981 assassination of Egyptian President Anwar al-Sadat. Zawari later joined the movement led by Osama bin Laden, which would become Al-Qaeda. The group attacked several times before the strikes in the U.S. on September 11th. 2001, which left nearly 3,000 people dead. After bin Laden was killed by U.S. Navy SEALs in 2011, Zawari was proclaimed leader. You don't think retaliation ideas have not come up? I think they have. So I wanted to talk about this just to reiterate how important it is to not be complacent when it comes to safety and security. And though barriers and procedures are set in place, these new secondary barrier protocols that the FAA is developing are very much welcomed, at least here at Squawk Ident they are. Mm-hmm. No, and I, 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 I agree with you. I think that there's, I think it's necessary. I think that, you know, like I said, if you sit and watch long enough, you'll know exactly the procedure. And yeah. you're right, we do in training go over like, how it is possible to breach these things. And, you know, it, is there an influx in, in 
attempts to breach. No, I, I, I still don't think that there's that, you know, that level, but you just don't want to be, you don't want to take it for granted and you don't want to, to have that risk one day where someone knows the procedure and someone knows everything. And before you know it, they're in the cockpit or sorry, they're in the flight deck with you. No, no cockpit's perfectly fine on this show. Gotcha. Well, you know, you don't, you don't want them to be up there, right? You don't, you don't want, you don't want them to, 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 you know, be standing there with you. Right. right. And at the end of the day, like, you got to think we're uh, 75,000 pound. That's, I know we're light compared to you guys, but we're a 75, 80,000 pound missile with fuel, you know, like can be turned into the easiest weapon of mass destruction. Right. Like, we don't want we don't want that we don't need that again and you know the the tsa obviously tries to to do a good job to kind of curtail some of that stuff and catch some of the stuff before they get through but you you may not even need any of that stuff to get through you know like you just need a couple big dudes yeah yeah well uh, the Allied Pilots Association, the union representing the American Airlines pilots, all 15,000 of them, they uh, had a statement uh, in relation to this new public comment period. Uh, and they said, in relation to the public comment period on pending federal regulation mandating secondary barriers between the cabin and the cockpit doors on newly manufactured passenger aircraft, we welcome this development as a good start and appreciate the efforts of the FAA's acting administrator, Billy Nolan, to move this uh, vitally important issue forward. This was said by APA President Captain Edward Sisher. Uh, that uh, noted, let's be clear, all commercial airliners, passengers, or cargo, and whether they're newly manufactured or requiring retrofitting, anything less than that, for example, if the regulation is confined to only new type, certification aircraft is totally unacceptable. As we approach the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attack with the news of a successful U.S. drone strike against Al-Qaeda head Ayman al-Zawari fresh in everyone's mind, we must remain fully alert to the threat that commercial aviation continues to face from those who would do us harm. Captain Seicher urged lawmakers to act on the Sar Sarcini Enhanced Aviation Act of 2021, or HR 911, which would require secondary barriers to be retrofitted to existing commercial aircraft. The bipartisan bill is sponsored by U.S. Representatives Brian Fitzpatrick, a Republican from Pennsylvania, Andre Carson, a Democrat from Indiana, Josh Goderman, a Democrat from New Jersey, and Chris Smith, Republican from New Jersey. It is named in honor of Captain Victor Sarcini, who died when terrorists flew United Flight 175 into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. Captain Sarcini's widow, Ellen, is a well-known advocate for aviation safety and security. Senators Bob Casey and Pat Tomey of Pennsylvania have introduced the companion bill in the Senate. So, if you, again, if you have the ability to sound off on this issue, we highly recommend that you do so. You know, we were joking about this before the show a little bit. What in God's name would 
cause a pilot to say, I'm out of here and exit the aircraft while it's still in flight. Now, I know I don't mean to make light of the situation. Clearly, there was something else going on here. Yeah. But we've all been asking ourselves ever since we heard this tragic event unfold. An article from newsobserver.com highlights exactly what happened. I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, but this article from News Insider entitled 23-year-old man who exited the plane found dead in a Fuguay-Varina, Fuguay-Varina, F-U-Q-U-A-Y hyphen or dash uh, V-A-R-I-N-A. Yeah, okay. Uh, after a massive search. Um, wow. This 23-year-old man who exited the airplane Friday afternoon before it made an emergency landing at Raleigh-Durham International Airport was found dead around 7 p.m. on Friday in Fuguay-Varina. That's the name of the town, I guess. After a massive search that involved several municipal, county, and federal agencies, the man's body was found behind a house near Sunset Lake and Hilltop Needmore Roads. The Darshan Patel operations manager for Wake County Emergency Management said at the news briefing. The man was identified as Charles Hugh Crooks of Raleigh, according to a post on the Fakwai Varina Police Department's Facebook page. Earlier Friday, Patel did not identify Crook, but said he was 23 years old. Cooks, Cook, Crooks was the plane's co-pilot. The Fakwai Varina Police Department said, <laughs> I'm going to love that. I'm never going to forget. Patel and Fakwai Varina Police said that Crooks was found after a resident in the Sonoma Springs subdivision flagged down search crews who already were in the vicinity of the neighborhood. Now, you were telling me a little bit about the audio from this. Oh. So we, we searched it out, and here's what we found. So while you're searching that or trying to get it up, the what I heard is that That's what she said. the they obviously were having landing gear issue. And from what I what I get I guess gathered is the co-pilot went to go look and investigate the landing gear. And I think it has a ramp in the back of the airplane. Okay. And I think he must have fallen out uh, while he sense. was investigating the landing gear. Okay. That's now that's what, well, that's what kind of what I've heard from just different sources and whatnot. I mean, it, clearly it's, you know, you, you, I haven't hit it yet, but we've all had those captains and I can understand that someone wanting to exit the airplane. Right. But like, I, I, I really think that something had to have happened that causes somebody to, to fall. Because yeah. it's it's not like he just opened up the door mid-flight and said, you know what? I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Later, what, Captain. unfortunately, that's what, you know, a lot of the media articles kind of were alluding to, you know, why he exited the airplane. He didn't exit the airplane, probably fell out, which which makes more sense. But here's some of the audio that I found. I mean, I'm sure this pilot's going to be shaken up. I have no idea. He's, he, he literally just said, my pilot just jumped out. This 911 call paints a picture of the moments before that emergency landing at RDU. The NTSB is now investigating what happened in the skies above the Triangle last Friday. RDU police interviewed the surviving pilot, but no incident report has been released, and we have yet to learn the pilot's identity. Devin Lynch, a friend of co-pilot Charles Crooks, whose body was found in Fuquay, Verena, says he wants answers. I would be interested in hearing that, that CVR recording because 
you know, I'd, I'd like to hear what was going on in the cockpit that wasn't even communicated with their traffic control. Lynch says from the few years he's known Crooks, it just feels out of character for him to jump from a plane without a parachute. That's why he wants answers from authorities. I've known Charlie for three years. He was a pilot from, from the day I met him, and I've flown with him a few times, and I can, I can tell you firsthand the exact kind of pilot he was. You know, he followed every rule to the letter. So far, the NTSB has reported the landing gear and the main body of the aircraft sustained damage, but it could be a while before a complete official report is released. If you if you search it, there is the there is the clip of it's a 911 call, and I think he's also talking to Tower. But you heard it in there that the 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 guy was saying like, yeah, the, the pilot's pretty shaken up. He said his pilot just jumped from the airplane, and and that's the thing is that's what they're reporting. So was it like I said from what I've heard that he was checking the landing gear and fell out, or did he really jump from the airplane? Yeah. So I, I want answers just like the, the guy's friend does that, like, you know, it seems out of character for him. Like, what would cause somebody to? Yeah, no joke. No joke. Like, like I said, I know I know we were joking around about it. Oh, we've all had those captains or we've all flown with those people that you're like, you know what? No, I can't take this anymore. Screw it. I'm out later. Right. But like, I think I think I've got the audio here. Hold on. You have the coordinates right now. Was the location of your hey, hi, this is from Raleigh Airport. We had a pilot that was inbound to the field. His co-pilot jumped out of the aircraft. He made impact to the ground, and here are the coordinates. Are you ready? Uh, hold on for me one second, okay? Uh-huh. All right, go ahead. It is 14 south of Raleigh Airport, and here are the coordinates. 3538 north, 54 minutes, 078. Four five two one. Okay, so you get three thirty five point three eight five four. Uh huh. Zero seven eight four five two one. And what's the, what's the other coordinate? Um, it was fourteen miles south of the field. So they said he jumped out the aircraft. His his co pilot jumped out without the parachute, so he might have impacted the ground. Other than, I mean, you get thirty, you got thirty-five. Do you have the your, the other coordinate? Uh, let's see. I mean, you got latitude. You have longitude. Oh yeah, that was um, that was it. Thirty-five, thirty-eight. I guess north zero seven eight four five east. Okay, thirty-five. Oh, what? 30, sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Thirty-five. Yeah. Thirty-eight. Get that guy in as soon as possible to the right side. Call airport off some of what just happened. All right, 35.38 north, and then your, your your longitude is what? 35.38 north, 07845 west. So I'll just pause it there because it goes on for quite a few minutes. But, I mean, you could hear it in the airport, I guess, manager's voice. I mean, pretty traumatic to yeah. have to report that. Um, you know, you, you, people jump out of airplanes all the time, okay, with parachutes on, <laughs> intentionally. I was going to say, they, they, they you know? do it intentionally. But when you hear someone f jumped or fell, or they're saying the word jump, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, that it, it hits you, man, the reality of what this means. Um, 
so yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on this. Um, I, I think, Alex, you kind of hit the nail on the head as you speculate that it sounds like they had the rear uh, cargo ramp open and maybe he tried to look around the side to see if the gear was down, uh, which, I mean... And if you look at the aircraft, it's kind of a boxy aircraft. It kind of looks like a shorts. Um, I was going to say, it looks like a shorts. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, the gear is kind of hard to see. I, I don't think you can see it from the flight deck. And you probably can't see it even from the back ramp. I mean, you'd have to stick your head into the flow of air. You, yeah. I mean, 200, 100 and even 150 miles an hour, that's kind of blow. you're not going to be hanging on for long. Um, no. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a plausible story or not, but we'll just have to wait for the accident investigation to conclude to, to figure it out. But yeah, our hearts go out to the family. There's some audio from the father of the, of the, uh, the, the suspect here, or not the suspect, but the, the father of the, uh, the pilot um, who lost his life. Um, and hopefully this is going to come out to be some just tragic, tragic event that, you know, could have been. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking at the airplane and I pulled it up on the Wikipedia page and it looks like that, like when the cargo ramp opens or there looks like there's a door to the, to the back that you can see, um, kind of like a, like a twin otter, you know how they have that door in the back. The only yeah. thing is, is they've got like two wheel humps where the landing gear sits when it comes up. So there's, there's not really much you can see by looking down. You have right. to, I'm assuming, go behind it and look out. Look forward, which you're not, it's going to be impossible. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe there's a, a safety protocol put in place that like you have to have a, a harness on or something like that. Like who knows, but like it, it, it doesn't just seem that you can just, you know, easily look and see what your landing gear is looking at. So and my heart goes out to that family uh, just in general. Cause I mean, that's, that's just terrible. So, and like I said, who knows where it was? Cause I'm, there's a picture that I pulled up on the Wikipedia page. That's got the ramp open. And I mean, that's pretty much going to be your best view to, to look out uh, at the, um, at the landing gear. Yeah. So it, it, the, they have two doors on either side, but it's like an emergency exit door or a, a, a door, a cabin style door that you're not just going to open mid flight. You know, the ramp would probably be your better option. It's just, again, terrible situation for, for what happened and, you know, sucks. Yeah. But it really does. Well, you know, in a, in a, in another interesting uh, article and, and I really wanted to talk to you about this because uh, I've been talking about this, uh, you know, conflicts of personalities, conflicts of uh, on the flight deck. How do you handle them? I've been asking these questions. I have been really been an advocate for doing your best to get along with everyone, keeping it professional on the flight deck, and and how this is a small community. So you know, we take care of each other, and even if you've never flown with the person next to you, you've never seen them before in your life, you both have a common job to do, and you should be able to just sit down on the flight deck and just continue on and do your jobs and it should all be a seamless transition and professional, but that's not always the case as two Alaska pilots recently found out. Stumbled across this article from Fox Business. I'll put a link in the show notes, you know, and that's, it happens, but I think they did the right thing. And you know, what would cause a two hour flight delay on Alaska? 
especially if you were on Alaska Flight 1080 recently from Dulles to San Francisco. Well, it could be because your pilots got in a fight. <laughs> this coming from Fox uh, BusinessNews.com. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's a, an article that's entitled "Alaska Airline Flight Delayed After Two Hours Delayed After Two Pilots Have Professional Disagreement" in quotes, uh, and they refuse to fly together. Alaska Airlines says two pilots had a professional disagreement, but they remain fit to fly. <laughs> yeah, an Alaska Airlines flight was delayed earlier this week after two pilots who were supposed to fly the aircraft couldn't get along, the airline said on Thursday. The uh, flight, as we mentioned, Alaska 1080 from Washington to San Francisco, returned to the gate before taking off Monday after the two pilots had a professional disagreement, the airline told Fox Business in a statement on the matter. While the situation was unfortunate, in the interest of safety, dun, da, 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 the pilots did the right thing, the airline said. Both the captain and the first officer were evaluated by management, drug test, pee test, alcohol test, and it was determined that they remain fit to fly. We swapped crews and the flight continued to San Francisco. We apologize to our guests for the inconvenience that it caused. Passengers who claimed to be on the flight tweeted, of course they did, that part of <laughs> more than two of the hours of the delay was due to a storm that they were waiting on on the tarmac while on board the airplane. However, they said that the flight was further delayed after the two pilots had an apparent argument and turned the plane around and went back to the gate. Don't make me turn this airplane around. One Twitter user posted a video that appeared to show the end of the pilot's announcement and the other passengers saying, can't we all just get along? I just want to say, you know, can we can we all get along? Can we can we get along? Um, Thanks, Rodney. Another Twitter user wrote, after an hour and a half delay, we now return to the terminal due to a failure of the captain and first officer to get along. Wow. And there's some other ones saying, whoops, we can't, we can't access this tweet. Uh, <laughs> airline pulled a pilot from a different delayed flight to replace it with the pilot who walked off the plane, reported one mile at a time. A travel news website that first reported the pilot's argument. The airlines have blamed bad weather and understaffing of federal air traffic controllers for many of their flight delays this summer, but part of the problem is also a shortage of workers. Airlines paid tens of thousands of employees to quit after the pandemic devastated their business in 2020, and we are still hiring and training replacements to that. So, yeah, what do you do? Now, it could have been as simple as, hey, there's weather, it's not safe, we shouldn't go. And the captain could say, uh, no, we're going, I gotta get to my overnight because I'm meeting my girlfriend there, whatever. Uh, or I live there, whatever. And the FO could be saying, no, uh, there's weather, uh, it's not safe, we should go back to the gate. And it, I mean, it could be as simple as that. Or it could be, hey, that hookery that you uh, <laughs> got in Mexico last week happens to be my Ugh. girlfriend, what the hell's wrong with you? I mean, I've heard some crazy, crazy, crazy stories. Uh, <laughs> and, and any of it could have happened. Um, and it's not helping when you oh. have a disagreement like this on the flight deck. But what is the right thing to do? I would say that they did absolutely the right thing. They went back to the gate, and for the interest of safety, they did not 
take the airplane in the air and fly together. I, I agree. I think that was the best, best case scenario with all of this, that whoever walked off the airplane, you know, whether it be the FO or captain, right. That, mm-hmm. you know, at least they, I mean, it's too soon to, to make this joke, but at least they did it while they were at the gate, you know, instead of in the air. Oh, was, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. <too soon. laughs> Terrible joke. You know what? Edit that out. Don't even bother. Putting oh no, there. it's going in there, buddy. It's going in there. Here's like, what the, here's what a Fox business analyst has to say recently about the, the situation with the airlines. Jeff Hoffman is with us, expert in this area. Is this all this cancellations and delays? Is it all just because of a pilot shortage? So it is mostly because of the pilot shortage, too. There is some weather, but there's always weather in summer. Uh, so those weather delays and cancellations are normal. But this weekend alone, Father's Day and Juneteenth weekend, 5,000 flights in the U.S. were canceled. And a third of all U.S. flights were delayed. That is not normal. That is the staff shortage. Uh, there's a staff shortage, as was already mentioned, for pilots. The airlines offered them all early retirement, and thousands of them took it. So even if they wanted to come back, airlines are offering a 50% salary increase to get them back. But many of them are retired. And even if they came back, they have to be recertified again. So that's not going to happen by July 4th. Same thing, we have huge security lines because TSA has staff shortages. We have slowdowns in airports because even the air traffic controllers have staff shortages. So it's systemic and it's not going away anytime soon, unfortunately. Has it got anything to do with the vaccination requirement that was imposed in the airline industry a year ago, whenever it was? A lot of pilots were forced out because they didn't want to get the vaccination. And if they want to come back in again, they've got a problem because they have these medical uh, checks every six months or every eh, year, really. and they don't want the vaccination to get to mess up their medical check. Is that part of this deal too? It is absolutely part of it, and that applied all the way down the line to yeah. uh, all kinds of people, yeah. not just the pilots. Uh, and because the, unlike the pilots, the flight attendants, the, the ramp and baggage handlers, they didn't typically have the savings to not work during that time. They didn't get the retiring package, so they went and found other jobs if they didn't want to get vaccinated. And so a lot of them are gainfully employed somewhere else. I understand that a lot of air traffic controllers left because they didn't want to get vaccinated. And now that some of the people who did get vaccinated in the control tower object to getting those people who are not vaccinated back in the control tower because it's unfair, discriminatory, so they say. So I don't see any resolution to this anytime soon. I don't see one anytime soon either. It is going to be a very difficult summer. This is just going to take a long time to ripple through the system and fix it. And I'm not quite sure how they're going to fix all of these issues in any near term. Got it. Jeff Hoffman, expert in travel. And it's going to be a tough travel season. Thank you very much, Jeff. Well, and, and it was interesting to, I mean, the reporter here from Fox Business, and I'll put a link in the show notes for this. Um, he's fishing. He really is. Oh, um, that was that hurt my brain to to wrap my head around some of those questions. Yeah, and, and even the aviation expert that they had, you know, discussing a lot of what he said was ac- accurate. But you know, for at least for the airlines that that you and I work for, yes, they had the mandate. Yes, that the they were supposed to get it, and some people stayed home for a couple months. But that all went away, and everybody that didn't want to get a vaccine, they're back on the flight line. There's 
there's no mandate that they have to have it. Now, those that got it because they felt that that was the only way they were going to keep their job, and not just pilots, but throughout the entire industry and, and the country for that matter, I mean, those there are those that didn't want to get it, but they felt forced to get it that feel gypped. Yes, that's true. Um, and But if I was flying with a pilot who was or was not vaccinated, how would I know? I'm not going to ask them that. That's a personal, that's a protected under the Health Information Act. HIPAA. 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 Right. So the Protection Act keeps you from having to disclose that information. And so, yeah, I I think he's fishing for that. Um, I think more of it is the retirement. They retire. Once you retire, you're like, I'm not going back there, especially if you got a retirement package and they're paying you to stay home and not do a damn thing. Come on now. So, yeah, I, I think that the the shortage of airline pilots, it's multifaceted in the reasoning. Um, and only a few instances, it's because the pilots just didn't get along. And this, you know, you've talked about it in, in previous shows and all that, and that 95% of the people that you come across in the cockpit, you're going to get along with perfectly fine. Even if you don't agree or don't have to, you know, like agree a hundred percent with them or, or, or like them for that flight, you can still manage to be professional and and do your job. Right. It's that 5% of people that you have to deal with, like in this situation that, you know, you just get into it that, But that's, it's so few and far between, you know, like now granted I've only flown with a whole whopping three different captains. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I am clearly not the expert here, but you know, listening to you and Roger and, and Rob talk about all the different guys that you talk, talk with and flown with, like, I always hear that, like, you guys are always talking, oh, this was a good captain. He was a good captain. Oh, he was, he was fantastic. Or it was a, he was a good FO, right? Like even some of the guys that like, you know, uh, we, we talk about uh, like Rob in the group, like he knows the chief pilots, chief pilot in Dallas. Like he flew with her when she was a regular captain, you know, like everybody always says, oh, they're good. They're good. Oh, they're, that's a perfect one. Or like, rarely do you hear, uh, Oh well, oh, him guy. and I had a disagreement. You should call in sick. Don't even. Don't even. Yeah. <laughs> Rare, rarely do you hear that. Yeah. So you know, it's for from my side of the house, right? One of the biggest things that I got told as I was getting done with IOE was, "You're a chameleon mm-hmm. as a first officer because mm-hmm. you're you're gonna fly with the 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 one percenters as the my IOE." Ca- uh, Check Airman calls them. Right. You're going to fly with those one percenters, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So you just have to maintain your professionalism, get done what you need to get done, and if they come on your schedule again, know that that's the trip that you're calling in sick for, or you know what I mean. Like there's yeah. there's ways around it. You, you, at the end of the day, you have to be a professional because that's what you are is a professional pilot. Yeah. How many hundreds of thousands of dollars and time did you invest in getting all your ratings and certificates to follow this passion that you have for a career in aviation? Act it. Act yeah. professional. Um, but, but, on the radio, act professional. Out on, out on, in the public eye, act professional. Even, And it even says it in our handbook. 
and our and our company operations, our SOPs. Even when not in uniform and off duty, you represent the company and the profession. Act accordingly. You know, and don't you cannot let that one percent, as you mentioned, affect you to the point that'll push you into an unprofessional, unsafe, or a bad decision. Um, and you even said it like it goes down to it's in our company handbook, right? You are told to look and act the part while you're, you know, in the terminal. Like I'll admit it, like that when we get up and we're in the cockpit and everything like that, right? Like I undo my top button, my tie comes down a little bit, right? Because yeah, right. like it's like it's choking, and, and it's you cockpit. know you're yeah you're, you're trying to do your job, but the moment that door opens back up, what do you think happens? That button goes back in. Or at least the tie goes up to make it look like the button's all sealed up. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. It, Iron it, the you, shirt, polish yeah. the shoes. It doesn't. Like, it doesn't take much to just look the part. You know? No, it, as long as you can at least look halfway like you're a pilot. Well, like you're halfway a pilot. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's where it starts. Is it starts with the look to carry into that attitude into the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perception really is. A lot. I, don't, I used to say perception is everything in this industry, and that's not really an accurate statement because you do have to back it up with skill and, oh, yeah. and decision making. But perception has a lot to do with it. I mean, you could have the safest flight. You could have avoided death. You could have really done above and beyond to get everybody there safely. But then the landing was a, a little stiff and people are like, oh, well, I guess they can't all be good. It's like, what the f- you know what the go navy <laughs> and that's what i i usually when i have a bad landing which it happens it happens uh, i usually go oh, i'm gonna open the cockpit door and captain's like okay and i'll stand up after the checklists are complete and i'll stand there and say goodbye everyone goodbye and they're like uh and somebody will always go are you a navy pilot I'm like yes sir <laughs> even though i wasn't <laughs> oh good aircraft carrier landing son like yeah that's right <laughs> yeah poof third wire <laughs> and, that, and that's the thing at the end of the day like that's what every pilot is going to be remembered for on that on that flight right is it's not going to be the fact that you got them there early it's not going to be the fact that you know you managed to avoid all this weather take some reroutes that you know all this stuff no they're going to judge you on that last little 30 seconds of the flight yeah. when you're coming in and it's either you, you grease it on and it's the best landing that you've ever had or you pancake it into the runway and you get the go Navy from row 22. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what you're judged on. Right. You know, or, or, or I got one even, <laughs> even further. So you have the perfect flight, not a bounce. It's like you're on glass. You're just like, Oh, it's, this is wonderful that you grease the landing. You're like, man and you're early you're 20 minutes ahead of schedule everything's going so perfectly well and you sit there and now you're waiting for a gate agent to move the jet bridge and the you're sitting there you know the engines are off you're parked at the gate and there's no gate agent and 10 minutes goes by 15 minutes goes by the captain's made three pas apologizing profusely now 30 minutes goes by now you're on time Okay, you're you're you were 30 minutes early, but now you're on time. Everybody comes off the airplane. God, I'm never flying this airline again. 
But like, my favorite now one I'm not going to make my connection. It's like, well, we're not even supposed to be here for another five minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> it hasn't happened to me yet, right? But I'm waiting for it to happen from the FO side, right? Like you make the the perfect approach. It's stable. Everything's good. All that. Stable. You grease it on. <laughs> you, everything's going good. You know, you're doing a nice, easy break. Captain comes on my aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you're like, yep. And you're like, what, what, really? Like, what did you a, do? Yeah, like I had, I set it up for you. All you had to do was come on the brakes and just, and take the nice high speed. No, right. you wanted to make the 90 degree turn. So here you go, jamming on the brakes. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> Yeah. Well, our last last article of the the show because we are running a little long today um, is uh, you know do you would you know what to do or have the courage to do it if you were being blackmailed to extend your flight duty period? Well, according to a former Mesa Airlines pilot, he alleges that's exactly what happened to him. In an article from businessinsider.com, again, I'll put a link in the show notes, a former pilot with the American Airlines coach chart partner said that he felt blackmailed when asked to extend his flight time. This uh, article was published on the 31st of July of this year by Sam Tabriti. Hope I'm saying that right. Well, he goes on to say that a pilot felt blackmailed into extended his flight time and had to sleep in the crew lounge if he refused. The pilot who worked for Mesa Airlines until last year before joining another carrier spoke on condition of to be anonymous. Anonymity? Anonymity. His employment at... Don't hurt yourself, I got tired. His employment at Mesa has been verified by Insider. The pilot said that Mesa would not put the disagreeing pilot in a hotel for the night. Of course, we'd push back if we were senior enough and would just call in fatigue the next day. This only caused more problems down the line, he said. We were basically blackmailed or coerced into extending our day or sleep in the crew room, which wasn't allowed or buy our own hotel room, the pilot said. He believed that the FAA did not intervene until there is an incident or worse, and a pilot is the first point of blame. Mesa Airlines and the FAA did not respond to the request for comment. Mesa is a commuter carrier that primarily operates with a maximum capacity of 75 passengers on code share flights for the likes of American Airlines and United as well, of its own flights. According to the FAA's Code of Federal Regulations, pilots have a duty time limit based on report time and legs flown for that day. A maximum two-flight deck crew has a limit of 14 hours in one, uh, if flying one or two legs, for example. And they're talking a little bit about FAR 117 which is the mandatory rest requirements for pilots. The pilot said that chief pilots are pushed by their bosses to make the flights go regardless. They're supposed to be our buffer from encountering undue pressure, but they succumb. However, once a pilot mentions the word fatigue, it is usually impossible for the shredders, for the schedulers to disagree, and the pilot is required to complete a fatigue report, the pilot said. 
this report is non-punitive as long as the committee investigate, investigating agrees with what caused the fatigue, he added. Ultimately, in my opinion, he says, safety is compromised when airlines schedule a long day hoping that there are no disruptions or that the crew agrees to extend, the pilot said. Uh, he isn't the first pilot to complain about their working conditions. An American Airlines pilot who previously told Insider he was embarrassed that he and his colleagues had to ask passengers to get off the plane that they had just boarded. Mesa Airlines is known as one of the worst when it comes to the quality of life. The A pilot told Insider that he felt pressured to extend his flight time, duty time, day, especially when there is an issue with the scheduling system. In most cases, he said, the company pressures us to extend our duty day to complete our sequence. Most of us, including myself, refuse because my days are already long and mentally taxing. An American Airlines spokesperson said that pilot's duty time was regulated by the FAA and only extended when a pilot decides at their discretion to do so. The airline schedules are rooted in safety, the spokesperson added. The AA pilot told the insider that pilots that pay for pilots at commuter airlines was pretty good now because they had to raise it and give bonuses to pilots that were leaving in waves. But the quality of life was worse than at the major airlines such as American. So if you're at a regional, you might encounter this. Guess what? We encounter it at majors as well. Pilot pushing has been around since the dawn of airlines. Don't believe me? Read any of the books that, a, uh, that ALPA has put out about the history of ALPA. Um, when you become an ALPA member, they automatically, I think, hand you uh, volume one and volume two of the history of ALPA. And they talk about pilot pushing. Now, we don't have pilot pushing anymore. It's, it's kind of an antiquated phrase. But yes, how many times has the phone rung and it's crew scheduling and they don't say oh hello uh, first officer charvella or hello captain whatever um instead they go are, are you willing to extend like whoa hold on a second. are you willing to extend and <laughs> you're like well let's see i got a plane full of people we're about ready to close the door if i say no now we got 200 people have to leave the airplane they're going to get canceled they're going to rerouted they're going to be stuck here maybe possibly days before the company can get them back um plus you know i i just want to stay with my schedule i want to keep going but i am it's been a long day at least 14 hours and now you're wanting me to extend in order you can extend up to two hours for most cases um and and now you want me to keep going there isn't a tremendous amount of pressure on the pilot to say yes and for anyone to, th to say otherwise is ridiculous. There's a tremendous amount of pressure for the pilot to say yes. Now, there are those pilots that are like, F that, nope, not doing it. I'll never extend, not for you, not for anyone. Uh, give me a hotel. And they're, they're off the airplane before even the passengers are off the airplane. They're gone. Um, and great, great for them. Uh, but most pilots look at the big picture and feel the tremendous amount of pressure. And what I've always suggested is you really have to look inward at yourself can i know you may not be tired right now but at the conclusion of the flight at night when you're coming into land and there might be some weather there might not are you going to be able to perform a go around at minimums safely 
and not be too tired to to do it right um and if the answer to that is maybe then no you shouldn't extend in my opinion um unless you know you can complete the flight and take any delay that comes at you or in any emergency that might happen at the end of this long day then no you you should not be able to extend you should do what you're supposed to do and then call it for what it is no i'll be tired um i was also told long ago always accept the extension wait 10 minutes and then call back fatigued why because that's you, actually a good question i was going to ask why to that so if you refuse the extension some companies will put that in there as okay extension refusal and it'll be in your record even though it's non-punitive and what happens is you might lose some pilot pay because they go well you were legal to fly it you refused to extend and so now you're off that and all that time you have just spent prepping the airplane doing pre-flights all that's gone you're not getting paid for any of it if you extend accept it and then call in fatigued then you have to fill out a fatigue report and go well you know i thought i was going to be good to extend but then i looked inward and realized that i'd be too tired at the in two or three hours when we're supposed to be landing and there was going to be weather and and i was just it was just too tired so i call in fatigue well now if the committee that reads the report says anybody would have been tired yeah sure no problem now you're pay protected at least with some companies that's the way it works gotcha well that's actually good advice to you know take the extension and so i that that leads to like kind of what i had happen on my ioe sequence that like we were delayed two hours and we took an extension in chicago right for the rest of our trip now granted it wasn't going to be like terrible when we got into jacksonville and all that stuff it Wait, so you took just... chicago to jacksonville and then you were done no 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 this was chicago st louis austin to jacksonville and they asked you to extend in chicago yeah but i thought you could only extend for that one leg not <laughs> for more than one leg <laughs> i don't I, know I, about I, that it, man it was... <laughs> Things are different at the regionals, okay, Tony? Yes, they are. <laughs> so, uh, but no, we took we, we we ended up taking the extension because like it wasn't going to hurt us, right? Like it wasn't going to be too bad of an extension that we were going to be like, oh god, we gotta, you know, we're 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 going to be too late and all that. Yeah. So, you know, it it t- to take a to take a, an extension in Chicago for the rest of our trip, which we were like, I think we were scheduled to get in in Jacksonville originally at like, say six 30. Yeah. Right. We ended up getting into Jacksonville at like eight Oh five. Okay. So now here's my question right before Jacksonville. Where were you? Austin. Okay. So if that happens to you again in the future, what I would do with this go, I can't answer that question now. But when I get to Austin, call me back. And then before I leave Austin to go to Jacksonville, that's when I'll accept an extension or not. Because how can you accept an extension for a flight that you're going to do three flights from now? It's, yeah. it, it, it's not, I don't even see how that's legal. You, if that happens to you again, be like, you know what? I can't answer that now. I'll do the flying that I'm supposed to be doing flying. I'm still legal for it. But the only reason they called you then is because 
it flagged them on the computer going, oh, this uh -huh. guy's going to be illegal. Well, let me call and extend them. Well, if you extend five hours from when you're going to be actually fine, how do you know if you're willing and fit for duty, really? So, yeah, if that happens again, my advice to anyone out there listening to as well is um, you tell them, you know what, for right now, uh, I can't answer that, but call me when I get to Austin. And yes, this will show up on your computer all day long that it's not legal, but leave it there because I might be able to extend in Austin and I might not. I can't make that assessment now how I'm going yeah. to feel in five hours. So yeah, always know the rules. Know your F if you're at an airline or you're going to an airline soon, no FAR 117 like the back of your hand. I, I can tell you I've flown with captains that have been captains for 30 plus years at the main line. And they don't know FAR 117 like the back of their hand. And it's a shame because the company does. They always do. And they will bend those lines to their benefit every single time. You need to oh, be yeah. able to, to bend them in your favor. Oh, yeah. No, they, they definitely know what their limit is and how far they can push. Like if you're going to be, if they are going to push it to like where they're saying like, oh, if you got that duty day that can extend you up to 14 hours and you're coming up and it's like 13 hours, 58 minutes and 27 seconds, they know that they got, they got their money's worth out of you. Like they know how to push it so that they can maximize it. Yeah, absolutely. So know, know your rules and know your rights for sure. Oh yeah. Well, Alex, thank you uh, for joining me today. It's been a pleasure uh, hearing your experience with IOE. And uh, thank you for talking with me about these uh, few <laughs> crazy stories that we wanted to kind of just uh, talk about today. Um, Flight 115 is in the books, man. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, hope you, you uh, had a good time. Oh, it was, it's always a blast being on here. You know, I enjoy it. Again, that's why I said I, I want to be that, you know, the shoulders for the next person to stand on. So putting my final chapter of training into the books um, is, uh, is wonderful, right? It's, it's good to get that done and out. So basically for all those new pilots, start, uh, if, if this is your first episode that you're listening to, start back at, I think it's episode 102 is when I start the whole process of what it was like to go through interview all the way up um yeah and, and thank you thank you again i know i've said this probably about a thousand times to you but thank you for creating the show and creating this platform like you have no idea like how much it it means to me for what you've done for me let alone what you're doing to these future generation of aviators which is why i'm here is because of partly because of this show and partly because of what you're doing so well thank you so much for saying that uh, i do appreciate it and i really hope that the listeners out there uh enjoy it as well i put my heart and soul into this uh, lord knows I, I don't make any kind of financial compensation for this it's just time I, like right now i'm i'm on my layover it was a late night coming in here it was past midnight when i got to my hotel and and you know I was like, I could kind of record it in the morning. Alex like, uh, 5.30 in the morning, I'll be awake. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? I'll Are you it. sure? I'll do it. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. We'll do it before church. And I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, so here we are. Uh, I got another show lined up for tomorrow morning uh, to record. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, you know, thank you, everyone out there, for all the support. We absolutely love listening to your feedback as well. So please uh do us the favor and send us your feedback via email. You can aviatortony at gmail.com. 
uh, right from the website, there's a link, I'm, I'm sure, there, www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar number Yankee.com. Uh, again, thank you to Alex for joining me today. Always a pleasure having you here with us and sharing your journey with us. Make sure to subscribe and follow Squawk Ident Podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. If uh, you're just uh, joining us for the first time or whether you've been listening for a while, we appreciate that you're here. And like Alex said, uh, go back and listen to some of the older shows. Um, I would at least go back and listen to some of the great interviews we've we've oh, yeah. conducted over the years. I mean, some of these interviews have just been mind-blowing. Uh, it's been an uh, absolute honor to be able to sit down with some of these uh, fantastic aviators from the past and uh, and listening to their journeys. Uh, yeah. And maybe someday your journey will be <laughs> highlighted on a podcast much like this one. Uh, we love the listener feedback. Again, uh, send that out to us. You can send us audio feedback. Just record something on your phone and just email it to me. Love to hear it and love to put it on the show. You can also help producing this show by sending a couple bucks our way. Good for the whatever you want to call it, the coffee fund, the beer fund, uh, whatever. Um, but it's, it's not free to, to produce all these podcasts. It does take a little bit of money. So we do appreciate any kind of uh, donations or contributions as well. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram users can also find us on uh, Squawk Ident Podcast or Aviator Tony. And one final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Uh, be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. No, not a chance. No, not a chance. No, 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 not a chance.
fly this plane and land it. It's, it's an, an entirely, entirely different, different kind of flying. flying.